Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. There is a wonderful new word making the rounds in linguistic circles these days, and it is rogeing. Rogeing, like the thesaurus fellow. Exactly, with a capital R, R-O-G-E-T-I-N-G. And it's defined as disguising plagiarism by substituting synonyms uh. one word at a time with no attempt to understand either the source or the target text. Oh, yes, yes. It's wonderful. It's the creation of a guy named Chris Sadler, who's a lecturer at Middlesex University, and he was left scratching his head over some student papers. Um, he teaches business information systems. He came across, for example, uh, a line in a student paper that went like this. Common mature musicians and recent liturgy providers are looking to satisfy Herculean personalized liturgies. Um, I don't know. What do they mean? <laughs> Well, I mean, clearly they're right-clicking and using their thesaurus. Yeah, and just and they're popping any old word right, in without thinking about it. Right. So for mature musicians, that was big players, and recent liturgy providers was new service providers. My favorite, however, is um, the phrase sinister buttocks. Apparently Sin- that showed up in a student Oh, instead paper. of, what was it, left behind? Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen similar, there's an anecdote that I don't remember where I picked it up about the kid who who's talked about for the weekend that he corrupted a pizza because he went to the dictionary and decided the word eat wasn't fancy enough and <laughs> corrode is a synonym of eat. And then there's an episode of Friends where Joey's write a recommendation letter and Joey's supposed to say they're warm, nice people with big hearts, yeah. but instead he decides to fancy it up yeah. with a thesaurus and he writes, they're human prepossessing homo sapiens with full-sized aortic pumps. <laughs> <laughs> and so, this is a problem. The yes. misuse of the thesaurus is well known. It is part of the beginning of ad- advice for all writers, which yes. is never use a word from a thesaurus unless you already know it. Exactly. The thesaurus should remind you of a word you know, not offer you a word you've never heard of. Exactly. And of course, students shouldn't be plagiarizing in the first place, but uh, they might get caught if yeah, they use a thesaurus, Well, unfortunately, right? it's not just students. It happens in the business world as oh, well. that's a good right? point. Yeah. Well, this is the place to talk about all kinds of language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send your questions in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, thank you, and so do you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> hi, who is this? Hi, my name's Tom, and I, uh, I'm out in UC San Diego. Oh, hi, oh, Tom. Yay. Welcome to the hi. show. Uh, thank you. What's on your mind? Um, well, what I'm confused about is the word next. Like, if I make a reference to the word, like, next Thursday. Mm-hmm. I recently missed a meeting because of the ambiguous use of this phrase. Oh, you did? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so if I say on a Friday that I'd like to visit you next Thursday, I think it's six days from now. That's that's clear. If I say on a Wednesday, let's meet next Thursday, okay, that's fine. That's eight days from now. Oh, is it? I don't know. This is why I have you on the spot. If I say on a Monday or Tuesday, though, I'm starting to get gray. If I say, well, let's meet next Thursday, yeah. then maybe then maybe I, uh, I, I'm i talking about nine or ten days from now, but this is where I start to get gray. So help. Tom, you missed a meeting. What happened? <laughs> Did you get in trouble? Maybe that was a good thing. I don't know. Actually, I showed up seven days early, so I just went to the meeting. Oh. The next oh. so I've all worked out okay in the end. That's the best kind of getting it wrong. I think you've really done a great job of discussing describing uh, the problems here and how far out from the date you can get and still be certain or Mm -hmm. uncertain. This is utterly context-dependent, and this is never fixed. You never know what they mean by next Thursday unless you ask them. You cannot assume. 
I think you can certainly clarify it if you say not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Here's the thing about that. If you read transcripts of people having natural conversations where they don't know that linguists are going to be looking at it later mm-hmm. to try to figure out what the heck's going on, people almost always renegotiate when this kind of usage is made. They almost mm-hmm. always seek clarity and ask for a restatement in different words to make sure they understand what day is being met. This is mm-hmm. how conversation goes. And if you fail to do that, then you do show up seven days early and you can't get the date <laughs> wrong, or you show up late. Okay, well, I, I thought you grammarians would have had this sorted out long ago, and so <laughs> I guess it's just part of the negotiation of the conversation. We, so are, we are victims of this horrible creature called English, <laughs> which is not clear. <laughs> and logical at all. Well, I, t- I tell you, Tom, there are a couple of guys who have tried to solve this problem yes. just in the past couple of months. If you mm. go to oxtweekend.com, that's oxtweekend.com, these two guys are proposing that we refer to that weekend after next as oxt, O-X-T. They just sort of arbitrarily uh, came mm. up with this word in order to solve this kind of problem. So let's throw another word in there Why just to mess you? things up even more. We can create more confusion. <laughs> that's great. Well, <laughs> but then there's there's the question of the weekend because yeah. Europeans and Americans think of a weekend as mm. either as or the week is starting on the Sunday or starting on the Monday. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's further ambiguity that goes in even with that expression. Oh, there is because some right. people will throw in all of Friday and some people throw in only part of Friday, right? There and some go. people oh. actually don't include Sunday at all. They're like, no, Sunday's the start. Of, look at my calendar. Right. The right. week starts all with Sunday. Friends, yeah. the, all of my friends, the weekend starts Thursday night. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, academics. I see. That's yeah. how it is in the right. college world. <laughs> Yeah, that's Little Friday. <laughs> little Friday, right, right. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about this. I, In the immortal words of Humpty Dumpty, the problem with this is <laughs> when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. This is the problem, <laughs> is that in our minds we know what we mean, but it's not necessarily transmitted to the hearers. Mm. That's clearly. the problem. Are <laughs> in clearly. So, well, I, I, I like the description that uh, a conversation is a negotiation. It's a give and take. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not always perfectly clear. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. We, so. we repeat ourselves far more than we know until we look at transcripts of our own speech, in which we're horrified mm-hmm. and vow never to speak again. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have we're glad to muddy the waters, Tom. All right. <laughs> take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It'll never be resolved, right? Never. Maybe we'll help you sort out your language confusion. Maybe we'll add more to it. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org. I know the year's not over yet, but I am already thinking about words of the year. Oh, yeah. And a big one's going to be on a lot of lists. It's I can't even oh, yeah. as an expression mm-hmm. of kind of like unbelief or surprise or doubt. And, and then she said to me that I had to move yeah. out. I can't even. Yeah. And you just stop there. I can't even. And then the companion for that is can you not? It's mm, just that. Yeah. There's no, yeah. not can you not do something. It's just yeah. can you not, which means just quit being whatever you're being because it's not really suiting the situation. Oh, okay. Can you not? Yeah, good stuff. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hello there. Who's this? this? Well, this is Ruth Harvey from Hanover, New Hampshire. Hi, Ruth. Welcome Hanover. to the show. What can we help you with? Well, I just do a lot of reading and uh, I have for many years used the expression balderdash when uh, somebody says something to me that I cannot uh, really believe that it was true, especially when my children come up with a long story about something, then I say balderdash. Mm-hmm. I love the way you said that, Ruth. Yes. Balderdash <laughs> with a, a, a lot of scorn in that first vowel. Well, I just wonder where it came from. A lot of times you think about it as a big sailor, captain on the, on the seas or something like that, and wonder, well, what is it? Well, it comes from a teacher in New Hampshire. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. <laughs> he is kidding. That's balderdash. <laughs> I was trying to get you to say That's it, Ruth. That's balderdash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can tell Grant's totally charmed by the way <laughs> you say that. But yes, etymologists are wondering where it comes from as well. It's a tough one. It's it's stumped a lot of researchers. Oh, yeah. How many and, languages have they connected oh, to? Oh, my gosh. Danish, Icelandic, Dutch, German, Dutch, Welsh, yeah. Welsh 
Gaelic. Yeah, but not really with any good evidence. I mean, the best evidence that we have about the word is that the earliest recorded uses of it in the 16th and 17th century refer to a kind of frothy mixture, a frothy liquid, like a mixture of beer and wine or buttermilk uh, and beer. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and isn't one of the early ones referred to the barber's cream as a balderdash? Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so some kind of mixture, which sort of makes sense. Yeah, so it's messed up. It's all yeah. kind of, um, yeah, not clear what's well, what. Well, I can I can see that if somebody's going to give you a story about something mm-hmm. that's not exactly true. Mm-hmm. So it, this term pops up um, in the fifteen late fifteen hundreds, just kind of out of the blue, and there's been all this work done, most of it a hundred years ago, to try to connect it to other words and other languages. And most of these connections are really tenuous. Mm-hmm. People look at the spelling or the pronunciation, and the meanings are kind of vaguely approximate, and it's all not very good etymology, etymological work at all. So. Right now, we would probably call this origin unknown, and it really needs to be looked at again. I mean, I'm waiting well, for the Oxford English Dictionary to get to Balderdash and really just retackle this etymology and see what they come up with. Well, I, it sounds wonderful. I'd like to know when you, <laughs> when you find it. Well, I think they're scheduled to get to Balderdash in 2040, so I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, well, darn, I don't think I'll be here then. Oh, come now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but 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 it's it's a fun word, and you know what? I'm really delighted to hear that it's still in wide use, and that somebody like you is teaching your students because it is one of these really expressive words that we should never it's discard. It's glorious. I love it. Oh, I love the word, and I not long ago read in the paper somebody had used the word as something that the uh, editor of the paper allowed in in the write up. But I don't remember where it was. Oh, I should hope so. Somebody in the sports pages, yeah. no doubt. They get away with so much. <laughs> okay. Or the opinion pages. <laughs> Ruth, thank you so much for giving us a call, all right? All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Call us with your language questions. 877-929-9673 is the number to call. Or you can send an email to words at waywordradio.org. And guess what? We're all over Facebook and Twitter. We were talking at the top of the show about the sources and reaching for words uh, mm-hmm. maybe beyond your reach. And uh, it's been interesting for me to look at some advice from writers about whether to use the sources oh, okay. and how. Irish novelist Roddy Doyle wrote in his Rules for Aspiring Writers this advice. He said, do keep a thesaurus, but in the shed at the back of the garden or behind the fridge, somewhere that demands travel or effort. Chances are the words that come into your head will do just fine. Right. Maybe when you're on the way to find the thesaurus. But I think that's a really good principle. And just I think... don't don't let that be your default. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that happens with the new writer. They don't have the confidence in their skill, and they don't have the confidence in their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And they do reads, just like you said. And it is the probably the number one thing that writers need to have beaten out of them in whatever MFA class they're going through, because it is a mistake almost always. What do I usually say? Something along the lines of, read above your level, but write yes. right below it. Yes. Write less than you were capable of writing, because hmm. that's going to be better. We'll take your writing advice. What do you tell your children or your students or your grandchildren when you want them to write well and to be confident about it? 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. A word, a phrase, and your grandparents' old sayings right here as Away With Words continues. We've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and here he is, John Chinesky, our quizzicist. Hello, John. Hey, hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hello, Mr. Chinesky. Now, do you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys heard this old joke that goes, if Ella Fitzgerald married Darth Vader, she'd be Elevator. Elevator. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. But I was wondering what other romantic blendings might be possible. For example, if film actress Kendrick of Up in the Air married Texas Senator Phil and took his name, she would become the rearranging of one word's letters to make another word. Anna Graham. Yeah, Anna Graham. She would be Anna Graham. So oh, Anna, okay. Anna Kendrick and okay. Phil Graham. Okay. That's very good. Yeah, nicely done. So that's how this quiz works. If actress Dunaway from Chinatown married talk show host Larry from CNN and took his name, she would become <laughs> the act of pretending. Faye, Faye King. King. <laughs> Faye King. Very good. <laughs> If TV comedian Newhart married TV comedian Betty and took her name, he would become a small bird. Bob White. (laughs) Bob White. Very nice. If singer Astley of Never Gonna Give You Up married playwright George Bernard and took his name, he would become a human-powered conveyance. Rick Rick Shaw. Shaw. Rick Shaw, yes. Very nice name, Rick Shaw. There's a few Rick Shaws out there. Radio Rickroll. Radio Rickroll. There we go. If psychologist brothers married sci-fi icon Philip K. and took his name, she would become a video game controller. Joystick. That's very good. That's very, (laughs) very good. That's right. Very good. (laughs) A little fun with phonetics there, yeah. Nice. Joystick. If TV actress Stapleton of All in the Family married rock singer Vince of Motley Crue and took his name, she would become rather friendly and cheerful. Genial. Genial, yes. Genial. If legendary actress Hayworth married Larry from the Three Stooges and took his name, she would become a word meaning to change what a word means. Redefine. <laughs> yes. Redefine. Very good. Redefine. That's awesome. These are Again, really those good. Are two, they should they should have gotten together. They should get together. Seriously. <laughs> the, the most beautiful, funniest kids you ever wanted to meet. <laughs> of course. They're gorgeous and they're hilarious. Okay. Finally, if former U.S. Vice President Gore married silent film comic Harold and took his name, he would become like two metals that are blended to obtain a desired property. Alloyed. Alloyed, uh-huh. yes. Very nice. And I hope... They are very happy alloyed in their wedded bliss, <laughs> Al Gore and Harold Lloyd. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Nice work, guys. All right. And if you want to talk about any aspect of language with us, and that includes wordplay, call us 877-929-9673 or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello. Uh, this is Bob Berner. I'm calling from Monticello, Florida, up here in the Big Bend area, up at Tallahassee. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Bob. How can we help you? Uh, my mama was her mother, I guess you should say, was uh, raised up in Arkansas. And she, uh, whenever you'd spill your milk or get a fishing hook cut in your thumb, she'd say, Hell's Bells. <laughs> and I never really heard anybody else use it except my mama. I was just wondering where that came from. Oh, we've got a couple guesses on that. It's a, it's a rhyming variation of Hellfire. Um, it's a mild oath. And uh, sometimes people thought Hellfire was just a little too... Uh, impolite to be said around other folks, so they'd rhyme it up with Hell's Bells. There's a whole variety. Mm-hmm. Hell's Britches, Hell's Boots, Hell's Fury, Hell's Teeth, Hell's Smoke, and Hell's Bells kind of stuck around a lot longer and is used more often just because it rhymes. Yeah, that's good to know. Anytime anything, you have a flat tire, mostly spilling my milk is when I'd catch, <laughs> catch the devil. We uh, we moved to the Virgin Islands and we had a me and my wife moved down there. We've been there 13 years, and we started writing letters back and forth to Mama, back before cell phones. And the first time she ever wrote me a letter, she wrote, I, I assume what she wrote was Hell's Bells, but her S's looked like O's, 
And we walked around for days trying to figure out what Hello Bello meant. So I guess <laughs> we finally figured it was Hell. Yeah, Hell's Bells. <laughs> it's just a it's a it's a mild oath. It's about as impolite as some folks ever get. We've got Hell's Bells in the dictionaries back to the 1830s, so it's sure, been around for yeah. a while. Yeah, I've heard plenty yeah. of people use it. Not yeah, her family was from Scotch Ireland mm, and in an okay. American Indian, Arkansas okay. Indian or okay. Oklahoma Indian. I, I don't know where she got it. I don't. I never. I've never really heard anybody else say it except my mother. Bob, you are refreshing to talk to. Thank you so much for calling us. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Take Thank care you. now. Call us again sometime. Okay. All Thank right. you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye bye. Sometimes Hell's Bells is just shortened to bells, which is even more polite. Oh but no, still kidding. Just, bells? Really? Yeah, just, be- just bells. Yeah, just bells said with a lot of oomph. Huh, you think that's what Poe was right? No. <laughs> Owl is thundering, bells, bells, bells. Go on, try it again. That's from uh, 1929. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them in the email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Continuing our conversation about uh, using a thesaurus, mm-hmm. um, I was looking at a memoir that talked about um, this guy's experience of uh, going to a prep school in New England and uh, feeling insecure. And so he used a thesaurus when he was writing this paper. And he wrote, It was a story about emotions, and I was trying to find a unique way to describe tears running down my face. My discussion of lacerates falling from my eyes did catch the teacher's attention, but not in the way I had hoped. <laughs> so, of course, he wrote, he was looking for a synonym for te- yeah, tears. And, and he looked up tear tears. instead of tears. Yeah, and you know who that was? Who was it? Former President George W. Bush. He uh, writes about that in his book, A Charge to Keep. Yeah, we're not. A, he's not alone, right? So many of us did that, always looking for... If you feel... You feel like you're not good enough when you mm-hmm. write for mm-hmm. other people, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You yeah. always want to put on your best face and maybe like it's like it's like renting a tux. You're renting nicer clothes than you actually own <laughs> when you take these words that you don't really have in your vocabulary. Yeah. Oh, that's a good analogy. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, Martha. This is Diane Deckerhauser calling from Poway. Hello, from Poway, California? Yes, indeed. Well, welcome to the show. How can we help you? I was uh, chatting with a friend, and um, we were talking about uh, dogs and kids and whatever, and I was saying that my dogs were rat-thinking all over the house, and it was driving me crazy. Hmm. And she said, rat-thinking, what's that? And I said, well, you know, it's it's when the dogs are kind of going crazy all over the house and they're playing and they're carrying on and and barking and having a good time. And so she said, oh, I've never heard of that before. Does it apply to kids also? (laughs) I thought, probably, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they're (laughs) chewing up the couch, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I I thought, you know, I I started to think, well, where does it come from? Uh And, um, you know, I I remember using think in the 60s and, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a, somebody was a um, snitch or, you Mm -hmm. know, a bad person or something. But then I don't know how it evolved into dogs and kids rat thinking around the house. Well, D- Diane, if you grew up in the 60s, then maybe you remember, I remember those little rat fink, those little plastic rat finks that everybody had in wait, elementary wait. school. I've never heard of them. Well, that's because <laughs> you came along a little bit later, Grant. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, Diane? I vaguely remember them. Where did you get them? Cereal box? Cracker Jacks? Yeah, or little gumball machines. Everybody had rat things. They looked like a rat. They looked like a little rat up on its uh, hind legs and and little flat ears. And Uh they were ugly, ugly, ugly. What did you do with them? You know, I didn't have one. Oh, you didn't? I know I that didn't. there are listeners right now pounding the dashboard, remembering. Did you have this instead of dolls? <laughs> <laughs> this would explain a lot. <laughs> yeah, I had a pocket full of rat finks. Everybody had rat finks. You traded them. They're a little hard plastic. Well, they didn't make it to the 70s in my no. childhood. So. <laughs> oh, 
How important could they be? We had rocks as pets, if you remember, in the 70s. Oh, right. Yeah. A rat fink, well, it's complicated. It tends to be related to fink, like you said, Diane, which is somebody, a scab or somebody who um, goes against the union or somebody who tattles or informs to the government, maybe a narc. That sort of thing, somebody who, you know, who turns his friends in so that he'll get off scot-free and not be convicted himself. Mm. Um, and at some point in the 1960s, around 1961, we know for sure rat fink kind of became this set phrase, which is worse than a fink. But the weird right. thing is in there, right about that time, there was a comedian by the name of Jackie Cannon. It's K-A-N-N-O-N who put out a couple comedy albums about rat finks, hmm. and he opened up the Rat Fink Club in New York City, oh. and he describes it as not being particularly pejorative, kind of making fun of the catchphrase of the day. And there was a the, the people who wrote the play The Fantastics, if you remember this, it ran for uh-huh, like sure. a million years in New York. They created uh-huh. a play that had Rat Fink in its name. So at some point, Rat Fink wasn't all that bad, but it kind of continued on and today if you saw somebody rat fink you just mean that they're a despicable person but i've never heard of a dog rat fink no me neither you know i wonder if it's just a family thing because we've we've used it for years i think Hmm. i just you know it's when the the dogs are well we also use the word frapping which is a frantic random activity period for dogs (laughs) absolutely (laughs) bonkers but rat Rat thinking normally is is at least two, you know, and they're playing uh-huh. together and having just a marvelous time. Uh-huh. Uh, and that way the only dogs can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or cats, little kittens <laughs> at 5 p.m., 5 or 6 p.m. Yeah, they're awake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the best that we can do right now, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that rat fink is used in a similar way somewhere else outside of your family. We'll, we'll wait oh, and see good. what other listeners say, yeah, all right? Yeah, we'll hear about it. I love it. Okay. Thank thanks, you so thanks much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye, Diane. Bye, Diane. Bye-bye. Well, if you know something about rat finking around, well, call us and rat fink with us, 877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. an expression the other day that really caught my fancy. It has to do with um, describing when you're speechless. You're so surprised that you're speechless. Okay. And you say, I felt like the boy when the calf ran over him. Have you heard this? No, I haven't. That sounds terrible. What happened? I don't know, but I thought that that, uh, this must be like a one-off, but then I started looking for it, and it appears again and again. How far back does it go? uh, At least to the mid-1800s. It makes me think of little kids, you know, when when something really surprising happens and they just sort of stand there dumbfounded, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, having something unexpected, I don't know. But if you Google this, you come across a lot of uses of, like the boy when the calf ran over him, I had nothing to say. Like the boy when the calf ran yeah. over him. I wonder if there's a connection there, some story that we don't That's know about. That's what I was wondering, or a, a joke, famous book or a, or a passage in the Bible yeah. or something. If I could overthink this for a minute, I, oh, wonder, I wonder if it's about misjudging the baby animal because because it's a baby animal you're like oh it's just a baby cow it can't hurt me and yet it's still two or three times the size of a boy even though it is just an infant itself maybe that's it and then you know you get knocked over and there's really nothing more to say no you're done and the calf is capering in the the fields yeah so i wonder if any of our listeners have heard their parents or grandparents use that term or maybe you use it yourself like the boy who was run over by the calf c-a-l-f right uh, like the boy when the calf ran over him. Uh, like the boy I when had the calf nothing ran to over say. C-A-L-F. All right, yeah. let us know. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi there. Hi. Who's this? This is uh, George Olson from Exeter, New Hampshire. Hi, George. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, uh, I've been blessed all my life, or most of my life, to be married to a wonderful woman from eastern Kentucky. Uh-huh. And uh, over the years, uh, she and her mother have shared a number of terms that I, being a boy from Pennsylvania, struggled with. Things like uh, redden up and out ginning and most recently when, W-E-N, words that I had never really understood before. But fortunately, I've been able to follow up on. But there's one that just stumps me, and that's Swarpy. Swarpy? Swarpy. Swarpy. Okay, yep. what's Swarpy and how do we use it? Sure. Uh, Swarpy uh, describes a, a 
piece of clothing that is ill-fitting, uh, generally too large. In a sense, it would go like, oh, mom, this coat's swarpy. And it's all, always large. It doesn't seem to apply to things that are too tight. Mm-hmm. And also, I've asked, uh, people aren't swarpy, only clothing is swarpy. Okay. okay. This is interesting. There's a couple of things at play here. This is a distant use related to the more mainstream, as far as it goes, use of swarpy, which refers to clothing that is long and free-hanging and swinging. And it might actually even brush the ground or like kind of twirl out when you turn your body, that sort of thing. And it's related to old Scots words um, having to do with very similar things. A branch might swap or wind might swap. So S-W-A-P. Swap. Yeah. Ah. And you'll find that these all of these words are connected back into the darkness of English. Swoop and swarp and swap um, have lots of interchangeable meanings and senses. And in some cases, they lose their R or get their R depending on the local dialect of English that they're speaking. So we consider them all to be etymologically related in a very forceful way through multiple reinforcement paths. But this is really derogatory. Is that, mm-hmm. the, is that it generally fi- the case? It's, it's a, definitely a negative term. Is it enough to cause a fight? <laughs> well, no, they're pretty peaceable people. So no, I don't even notice them. Mother right. and daughter doing battle over Swarpy, but it, it is used. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't, I guess, I mean, because that would mean that you're not well-dressed, right? Your, your clothes don't yeah. fit you. There's something wrong with that, right? Right, right, yeah. There's one other thing I hesitate to mention because they sound like good people besides being peaceable people. But there is a <laughs> old term which is called drinking and swarping. It kind of goes hand in hand. Hmm. And if you were drinking and swarping, you were out drunk off your head <laughs> causing a big ruckus, raising, raising hell out there. Yeah. Oh. Huh. And swarping around. And I've been basically, I, th- I think it refers to literally being kind of loose-limbed and all mm-hmm. over the place yeah, and yeah. not in control of your body and not in control of your actions. Drinking and swarping. Drinking and swarping. Sort of sounds like what it is. Yeah. My goodness, I should try that one day and see if I'm accused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah, see what your wife and mother-in-law think about that. Yes, I'll try that. <laughs> but it does sound like your family usage is a very specific kind of distant relation to the swarping that we already know. And so it's, huh. and I, I think I can logically see that path. Can't you, Martha? Sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Well, wonderful. Yeah, George, thank you so much for calling. All right, thank you. Take Mark. care now. Okay. You too. Bye bye. Her dress was swarping the floor, is another variation on that. Or oh. she wore a swarpy dress. She had to lift it up so that it wouldn't brush against the floor. Oh, that almost sounds like a variation on sweep, doesn't it? Yeah, Swarping. yeah. It kind of, swarp you can the swap these words out. Yeah, ah, swap. swap. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know your relatives talk funny. Give us a call, 877 929 9673, and dish on your mother in law all you want to words at waywardradio.org. want to feel very left out of culture go read books of old proverbs and there's this whole world of agriculture that we don't live in anymore and all the proverbs that go with it Mm. one that i came across recently which i kind of love it's to say somebody is between hay and grass and you're suggesting that they're weak or feeble between hay and grass. Yeah, because hay and grass, they, they bend easily. They're easily stomped on, broken, knocked down, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Easy to cut, easy to, to manage. So oh, you, okay. you st- they stand up straight, but uh-huh. with the slightest bit of opposition, they fall down or bend. Oh, between yeah. hay so and if, grass. So if, if he's between hay and grass, it means he's easily easily beaten or subdued. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. But, and it's an old one. It goes back to 1700s. Oh, good grief. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, I would have had no idea. <laughs> Are we a proverb culture anymore? Do English speakers really fall back on any but the most common of proverbs? You know, that's a good question. I mean, all I can think of when you say that is it's always something. <laughs> you know, always I mean, something. modern proverbs. Maybe we've just replaced them with catchphrases that we get from popular culture. Hmm. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.com. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you.
You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Think about the last time you ate in a restaurant. Now picture the menu. Did it use words like fresh or delicious or flaky? Or was it really specific like Monterey Bay squid and wild copper river salmon with rosemary thyme polenta? Chances are, if the description of the food was that detailed, you were probably in a more expensive restaurant. And, of course, there's no surprise there. But now we have data to back that up. Because there's a linguist at Stanford named Dan Jarofsky. And he and his colleagues analyzed a database of 6,500 restaurant menus across the United States, describing 650,000 dishes. And when they crunched all that data... They found that, quote, every increase of one letter in the average length of words describing a dish is associated with an increase of 69 cents in the price of that dish. Whoa! (laughs) Big words mean big money. That's right. Those are some expensive adjectives, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there really is such a thing as $5 words, right? And (laughs) he and his colleagues report this in a new book that's called The Language of Food, A Linguist Reads the Menu. And a couple other things they talk about include the fact that if if you're saying fresh and delicious on a menu, those those are described as status anxiety words. If you're in an expensive restaurant, you're not going to have to say that, right? If you have ah, to talk about it, if you have to say so. Right. So if you say fresh, you probably are in the drive-thru at yeah. Wendy's. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about it is that uh, the more expensive restaurants are 15 times more likely to describe where the food comes from. Ah, very good. You know, if you want to get deep into how menus have changed over time, I recommend going to the New York Public Library's menu database where they have 17,289 menus with more than 1,200,000 different dishes. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my gosh. So they've got stuff going way back, more than 100 years, including gentlemen's clubs, some of the earliest Chinese-American restaurants, cruise line menus, the stuff you might have been, you know, one of the big famous ships that cross the Atlantic every week, that oh sort of stuff. Gosh. Really interesting stuff. And a lot of it is plain spoken. I mean, you would go to a fancy restaurant. It would uh-huh. be something like Porterhouse with Egg, you know, and you're like, that's it. Yeah. There's no no extra Back adjectives. Day, yeah. yeah. There's no, no drizzled with a sauce. It's interesting because there may be a trend to go the other way oh. among expensive restaurants now. Some of them are getting so minimalist that mm-hmm. they're um, – they're giving you the menu afterward as a souvenir. So, you, oh. you know, it's just like you, you just sit back and say, okay, hit me, chef. If you've seen something crazy on a menu, either just too elaborate or too funny or just completely wrong, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who My is this? My name is Jean, and I'm from northern Michigan. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jean. What's, Hi. What's going on? Um, well, uh, there's a word that I used as a child growing up in the state of Maine, and uh, it was the word spleeny. And my question is, is it still in use? And I will tell you the context in which it was used as, uh, when I was a child. And it would be when like, my mother was taking a splinter out of my finger, and I would be cringing and pulling away, and she would say to me, don't be so spleeny meaning uh, that I was overly sensitive to the action to my body, evidently. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that this, you know, this was what everyone used. Well, as a young married lady, I moved to Michigan. And I remember getting a shot from the doctor, uh, and I looked at him and said, I'm going to have to turn away because I'm a bit spleeny. And he looked at me as if I were speaking a foreign language. And it was at that point I realized that not everyone used this word. And also, uh, is it ever used since then? I don't know. I've not heard it. You worry that you're the last remaining spleeny speaker, huh? <laughs> You know, I think I am. <laughs> Well, this is fantastic, Jean, because um, because your story fits exactly with the research that oh, we have. Oh, nice. Yeah, it shows that well, the term spleeny in the United States is chiefly heard in New England, mm-hmm. and it has okay. to do with being overly sensitive to feelings of fear or pain or distaste or, or even hypochondriacal. But spleeny has been around uh, for centuries, just referring to... Uh, 200 years plus, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in England, referring to uh, to somebody who's sort of 
ill-humored. Um, and it and it goes back to the idea of the spleen uh, affecting um, your your mood. So we used to ascribe some emotions to sourcing in from the spleen, right? Mm-hmm. The same yeah. way we still describe certain things as coming from the heart. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. The, the okay. spleen was thought to produce uh, the uh, the bile that produced melancholy back oh, in the oh, day. Oh. Yeah, but uh, spleen doesn't seem to have migrated south or east. Really. No, and it's not. It's still not that common, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a showy word that um, fiction writers will use. But and and, and you, Jean. But <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it didn't migrate <laughs> no, no, east, I but think it migrated. I, I think I was cured that day. <laughs> not oh, really? Sure. I don't know the word sense. Yeah. But, uh, but, but your description dovetails perfectly with what we mm-hmm. know about it. It uh, was, was in New England, and, and you took it west. Okay. Well, that's very interesting, and it's interesting to see how it uh, evolved from melancholy mm-hmm. to um, hypochondria, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, a little squeamish. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. Nice. I've yeah. never heard it used yeah. that way. Okay. Thank All you right. so much, well, Jean. I, okay, I appreciate you um, taking my call. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have an entry for the least useful definition of all time, by the way. Oh, great. Let's so if you go it. to the Oxford English Dictionary, yeah. and admittedly, some of their entries have not been updated since the 1880s, right? Okay. And you look up spleeny, mm-hmm. it defines it as splenetic or spleenful. <laughs> Not helpful, OED. Not helpful. <laughs> OED fail. <laughs> Again, I, I don't think it's been updated in a long time, but still. Are you being a little spleeny, Grant. <laughs> a, a, a pitch. A pitch. A pitch. A bit. A dite. That's what they say in Maine. Ooh, nice. A dite, a little bit. A, a dite spleeny, yeah. yes. <laughs> a dite spleeny. Well, we'd love to hear your questions. You said something, people didn't understand it, and now you want justice. This is the place to go. 877-929-9673 or email word at waywardradio.org. I was reading Clay Shirky, who writes about journalism and the future of news and so forth, Mm -hmm. and he had a little black humor in there from the journalism world where everyone knows that newspapers are dying, but they're kind of unwilling to admit it. It turns out that in some newspapers, they don't call it the obituary column anymore. In-house, they call it the subscriber countdown. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear your jokes about your business or industry. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, um, my name is Masha. Hi, Masha. Where are you Um, calling from? I'm calling from Auburn, Alabama. Auburn, Alabama. Welcome to the show. I feel like I'm from New York, although I've lived in Alabama for a while. Okay. Okay. no one understands when I say, I'm all Liddershins. And to me, it, it's a usual expression. Hmm. But since no one understands it, I actually sort of, well, I don't say it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by it? What do you mean when you say you're all Liddershins? A, a kind of confused state. Mm-hmm. Okay. But no, I've never heard anyone else use that word except for a friend of mine who named a cat. Wittershins. Oh, they named their cat Wittershins. I wonder if they got that from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think there was a cat named Wittershins on that show. Oh, no kidding. Um, Yeah, well, that sort of makes sense. I haven't heard people talk about themselves as being all Wittershins. I mean, I usually think of that as simply counterclockwise. But it does connect to the older idea that Wittershins meant unlucky Mm because you were going counter to the laws of nature. Right. Originally, it was about the direction Uh, of the sun, right? Well, Wittershins is against the direction of the sun, right? Yeah. Yeah. East to west. Yeah. Or west to east. Right. Right. If you look at the way a sundial works, it works in a clockwise fashion, Mm -hmm. at least in the northern hemisphere. That expression actually is expressive of how I would be feeling Mm-hmm. When I'm calling myself that. <laughs> right, right. You're kind of going in the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah. Why did I do that? <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, Masha, I can give you a word for when things are going right as well. The, oppo- oh. the opposite oh, well, of Wittershins. Yeah, the opposite of Wittershins is diesel, D-E-A-S-I-L. It's uh, related related to the Latin word dexter, meaning right. It means going mm-hmm. in the right direction. I love having a new word. It makes <laughs> me feel rich. <laughs> you oh. are. You are. 
You are. You can add that to your word hoard. Uh, Wittershins, by the way. We should spell Wittershins. Yes. It, W-I-D-D-E-R-S-H-I-N-S. Mm-hmm. Wittershins. Yeah. Sometimes it's spelled with a T-H, Wittershins. Yeah, Wittershins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we have uh, etymology, etymology on that? Uh, we think it's a Germanic term that okay. just goes back to uh, words that mean against, uh, against like, the direction. Oh, okay. Against the direction of the sun. Hmm, cool. Masha, thank you so much for your call today. Well, thank you very much. All right, take care. We'll <laughs> enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Grant, did you know that recently in Bolivia, the uh, the head of the country changed the clock on the congressional building, the official clock, so now it goes Wittershins. Why? Um, it's sort of an anti-colonial measure because apparently <laughs> clockwise is associated with the northern hemisphere. Why didn't they just start using, I mean, if they really wanted to reject colonialism, using the kipu, the knotted accords that the Inca <laughs> used to record, right? You know, just take it all the way. you got to have clocks, right, yeah, okay. in, in this day and age. So, yeah, if, I mean, if you can go online and see pictures of this clock that um, that goes 12, 11, 10, 9. Um, it, ke- it, keeps, it keeps the time correctly, sure, right. but, it, but it goes the other way. Whatever floats your boat, man, or whatever turns your clock. It's pretty cool. Give us a call with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. We've talked before about paraprosdokians, those statements that go one way and then take a uh, sharp right turn. Yeah, it's a reality TV show, right? (laughs) No. Paraprosdokian is a statement that goes one way and then veers sharply. Oh, that's one, right. right. It's a tricky, jokey thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I have one that I thought I would share with you, Grant. Before you insult a man, try walking a mile in his shoes. That way, when you insult him, you're a mile away. And you have his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Words to live by. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Sally Rice. Hi, Sally. Where are you calling from? Bozeman, Montana. Bozeman. Well, welcome to the show, Sally. What can we do for you? Well, I recently got a Fitbit. Oh. And one of the, <laughs> one of the uh, things that the Fitbit does is tell you how well you sleep. And so there's a sidebar on the screen that you can pull up on your computer, and it says number of minutes of sleep, number of minutes restless, and number of times awoken. And when I read that, I thought, that can't be right. So my question is, shouldn't it be awakened? Number of times awoken. Okay, so a Fitbit is something that monitors your health and your activities, right? Are you walking right. and, and counting your paces? or Correct. You yeah. put this on your wrist, it sends data to your phone or your computer, collects things like number of steps you take, mm-hmm. um, what does it do, heart rate and mm-hmm. temperature and like sudden movements in the night when you're supposed to be sleeping, that sort of thing? That's right. Okay. Yeah. While we've been mm-hmm. talking here, I've been Googling this. All of the screenshots I have it say awakened. Now, maybe they changed it? Yeah, maybe. Well, they on my... Fitbit dashboard. Yeah. I checked this today because I wanted to be sure that okay. I was telling you, huh. you know, the, yeah. giving you the accurate information. And it says, times awoken. Awoken? Awoken. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I love it because wow. that's kind of unusual awoken. in modern English, right? Yeah. I wonder if they just misspelled awakened. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they need to update their software. Huh. I mean, Sally, the Fitbit Maybe. is... Maybe. Yeah. It's giving you all kinds of great affirmation, it sounds like. But I want to give you some more affirmation, which is okay. uh, to congratulate you for calling about what has been described as the most vexing verb in the English language. Uh-oh. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. That's yeah. not the most vexing verb, is it? You don't think so? No, I thought versing somebody in a video game was the most vexing verb. Vexing? No, <laughs> no, no. I, in fact, I have a collection of things that language authorities, phrases they've used to describe uh, wake and awake, um, those two mm-hmm. verbs. And and they call it the most vexing, the messiest. The It's a muddle. It's not yet settled down from its long entangled history. So there, so um, it's it puzzles even the experts. Well, and, and so, uh, but there's a lot of verbs. So you can wake. Yeah. You can awake. You can awake. You can waken. Yep. 
And then they all have past participles and past forms, and some of them are the same or similar, right? Yes, and they can be transitive or intransitive. Oh, you know, you can wake in the morning, you so can the, wake the, someone. The key is to sleep late and never awaken so that you don't have to talk about the verbs. <laughs> Part of the reason that it's so difficult is that in the case of both wake and awaken, they're blends of two older verbs, one of which is transitive and has regular principal parts, and one of which is intransitive and has irregular principal parts. And so it's just Uh a big mess. And I can't even tell you how I would describe what I did today when I stopped sleeping. (laughs) I really can't. But yeah, I usually say woke up Mm -hmm. rather than I awakened. But you wouldn't have a problem with awakened that's, that's that wrong, right? One, that one sounds like that a misspelling. To yeah, me. I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's wrong as well. Yeah, I think you, you could say awoken or you could say... I was awakened 12 times, yeah. but not I was awakened 12 times. Yeah, awoken <laughs> is, is weird. I think yeah. I think maybe that's a bad translation yeah. or, or, or bad, misspelling. Or terrible, terrible typeface or something, yeah. misspelling, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's time for you to give your Fitbit some feedback for a change. <laughs> there we go, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let us know what you find your out. Your linguistic performance is lacking, Fitbit. <laughs> I expect you to shape it up, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. You have affirmed me uh, grammatically and uh, just as the Fitbit affirms me uh, fitnessly. Nice. Fit- fitnessly. <laughs> I like that. Fitnessly. Yeah. We're not averse to a coinage here and there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for calling. Yeah, really appreciate it. Good luck with the program. Sure. Take care now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Google awakened versus awoken or yeah. awoke versus awake. For a good time. For a good time. <laughs> and you will find every grammar nerd nerding out to the best yeah. of their abilities for years. They've it's been, still a They've mess. been talking about this since like the first minute of the internet. So there's tons out there to read. Good luck with that. <laughs> and we'll be here waiting at 877-929-9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org. I came across this great quotation about words the other day. It's from Ingrid Bergman. It goes, A kiss is a lovely trick designed by nature to stop speech when words become superfluous. Ah. Isn't that the truth? Ah, it is the truth, right? Stop speaking. Don't speak. No more words. Finger to the lips. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Call us to talk about language. The number is 877-929-9673, or you can send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can also leave us a message anytime, day or night, at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language, or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or in school. You can also email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey and Tamar Wittenberg. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Bye-bye. So long. I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. So if you pajamas and I like pajamas. I'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas.